This episode is brought to you by Get Mobile ID, the smart choice for MDL implementations. Put citizens in control with Get Mobile ID, fully ISO compliant and UL certified for all transaction modes. Learn more at getgroupna.com. Welcome to AnvaCast, bringing news, information, and expertise to the Anva community. Now celebrating our 90th anniversary. Here's your host, Ian Grossman. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone. This week, I'm pleased to welcome Joe Dooley. Joe is a 41-year career law enforcement veteran out of the state of Connecticut, multiple agencies, long time you know, on his resume that we're not going to get into, but I'm here to talk to Joe about a project that he's been working on for a number of years around what you're going to know by the end of this podcast as the green envelope and, and the blue envelope. Is that a fair way to introduce the topic, That's Joe? That's a great way to introduce it. Well, welcome, welcome to the podcast, first Thank of all. You. Appreciate Thank you, you spending much. time and being with us here at our workshop and, and law institute. So uh, specifically, it were tools that we're going to we'll unpack it, but the punchline first, which is it's a tool to help drivers from certain communities and needs better and more positively interact with law enforcement at roadside. Right, that's, that's the goal we're trying that's trying correct. to work toward. So let's talk about the communities. When I say the specified communities, who are these drivers that we're trying to give these tools to? Well, I'll go back to the, the origin of the uh, the green envelope. Yeah, is for the hearing impaired. Okay, and did I one actually, come first, or were they? Yes, developed? The, okay. the green envelope came first, and it was in two thousand. So the Connecticut legislature. Uh, developed based on advocates coming to them. They created a bill and it became law mm -hmm. and they empowered the uh, Connecticut Department of Transportation, Connecticut Department of Motor Vehicles and the Connecticut Police Chiefs to develop a program that would identify or help help officers understand if they're on a traffic stop, if there's someone hearing impaired that would maybe under, understand that, okay, you know, they have to deal with this maybe in a different light. Mm -hmm. And so the program uh, was very effective, and and it wasn't until about 2019 mm -hmm. that they decided the autism community needed a similar one, and so why reinvent the wheel, just change the color. Okay. So the blue envelope was created by pretty much the same entities, but primarily the Connecticut Department of Motor Vehicles mm -hmm. and the Connecticut Police Chiefs Association. Mm -hmm. And then COVID hit just upon the launch, and it really didn't get the legs that it was intended. And um, from there, I, my last department that I was chief of mm -hmm. was Southern Connecticut State University in New Haven, Connecticut. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have the Center of Excellence on Autism Spectrum Disorders there. And mm -hmm. a faculty member, this is the origins of it, of how I got involved, uh, Dr. Kerry Sasu, who was uh, contacted me about a symposium they were doing and wanted to... Um, see if we could have a patrol car come over during the symposium and show people what it's like on a traffic stop for these clinicians mm -hmm. that were coming. And, you know, we got together and thought about it. We had a videography unit at the university and we decided let's create a video, a mm -hmm. training video. Okay. That would be not only for law enforcement officers in Connecticut, but also for the autism community, mm -hmm. whether it be their parent or guardians or themselves, mm -hmm. and model it. You know, uh, well, the, the program already existed. Yeah. So, we very grassroots level uh, got together with the videography unit. We uh, had uh, I had a great great group at uh, the police department, and we put a team together. And actually, someone worked on a script. Some people worked sure. on. We actually had screen tests for this, which was pretty <laughs> funny. And um, it was a it was a, a great collaboration with the faculty side yeah. and and on the law enforcement side. 
And it, quite frankly, when we were done, we decided we were going to do a mock traffic stop event. Okay. And we were going to show the video prior to doing that. So what that essentially means is we had large parking lots. Mm -hmm. We uh, had a registration landing page for people to apply. We told them what we were doing. We announced it. We announced it throughout the state, but it was in the New Haven region at that time. Yeah. And then partnering with other law enforcement agencies is key to yeah. doing this. So, you know, the New Haven Police Department, Waterbury Police sure. Department, Hamden, they, they all participated, but Southern PD took the lead with the center. We did our first one, and we had probably about 15 participants come in, and um, they had received the video mm -hmm. beforehand so that they could understand, and they came in. We showed the video again, we gave them a briefing, we lined their cars up as they arrived, mm -hmm. and essentially we created a line with a stop sign in this parking lot, had some traffic cones, and we told them, you're gonna drive down and you're gonna go through the stop sign. Well, I think some thought it was a trick because they didn't yeah, wanna go through the stop you know, sign. You're gonna get me now. And what? so what we did is uh, we, we told them, you'll hear, you may hear a, a siren, you may hear an air horn, you may see lights behind you. Those are all sensory perceptions that can yeah. be, they're distracting for anyone. Sure. Especially, you know, upon coming up to a scene late at night, flashing lights and, yep. and then we told them there'll be an officer coming up to your door and there'll be a second officer, it's usually what we call a cover car that might come up to the passenger side. So we really thought about the dynamics of a traffic stop and what they would experience if they did get stopped. Yeah. And, the program uh, has just been nothing but a success. And of course, the first time you do it, you tweak it sure. and, and you learn from those experiences. Yeah. And at Southern, we had done two of them. And then I decided um, with the Connecticut Police Chiefs, I wanted to bring it statewide. And so we're now doing it regionally. We're doing one on March 18th in uh, the towns of Farmington, Avon, Simsbury, and West Hartford. Mm -hmm. And I have my former colleagues, the chiefs and their agencies doing this. And it's a, we call it a do good, feel good moment yeah. for the community. So t take me back though, you know, the problem that you're trying to solve or the challenges you're trying to help with uh -huh. being the 41 years in law enforcement, uh -huh. what have been historically some of the challenges of what would have been that roadside interaction in the past with someone with autism or someone who is hard of hearing that maybe you've heard about and learned about, oh, I wish I had known this about this individual before I began the interaction at roadside, it would have right. helped with X, Y, and Z. It's a great question. It's just there's some basic training that every police officer probably gets in the academy, and yeah. depends upon when they got it. Maybe they had some in-service training, but it's 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 complex. Yeah. And as I mentioned before, it's it's stressful enough for uh, any driver to uh, be stopped by the police sure. or think they're going to get stopped by the police. And then if you have you're nervous to begin with, you may be prone to making mistakes. And you may want, may not want to disclose to the officer what's going on, but it's about, it's probably best stated by uh, Dr. Sasu, it's about bridging the gap between two communities. Mm -hmm. So the police officers, when, when either the green envelope is handed to an officer or the blue envelope is handed to the officer with their license, registration, maybe insurance card, that visual cue uh, to the officer obviously they have to be aware of the program, mm -hmm. can see, okay, we're dealing with someone here that's extremely nervous. They, they are really trying to let you know that um, they're, they're not trying to be difficult, but right. they're, they're nervous. There might be reasons for their behavior that you shouldn't assume what the, what's going on. Correct, 
Correct. So that's the primary purpose uh, of why we created the video, to broaden the knowledge for everyone, myself included. I, a year and a half ago, I thought I knew um, a, a bit about autism. I know a lot more now, sure. and I'm happy to uh, be presenting. I was here in uh, San Antonio in August for the IACP Highway Safety Conference, where sure. I presented with Dr. Sassoon, uh, uh, Lieutenant Anderson from my former department. And then um, I was at the IACP conference in Dallas in October and was asked if I could present to the Highway Safety Committee. Mm -hmm. And I also wrote an article for IACP, so it's kind of like I'm not the subject matter expert on it, <laughs> uh, but I'm happy to be a voice and help work with my colleagues. Yeah. So I, you know, Dr. Sassu and I will talk about this a lot. I'm about the how we do the traffic stop, we, you know, we, you know, how we do it. The why of what we do it is really what she and the people at the center do because getting the message out there in terms of the community, it's increasing substantially. It yeah. used to be maybe one in 150. It's now one in 44 young adults uh, are on the autism spectrum and they're driving and it's, it's an increasing population. Yeah. And it's also, they're probably based on maybe their, their experiences are probably more prone to potentially be in an accident or have an interaction with a police officer. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you working with the agencies in Connecticut, the presentations I've done through the country, um, we're getting the word out and it's, 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 it's kind of a, um, changes the dynamics of how yeah. people think about it. Now, certainly it helps if law enforcement has been trained or seen the video and <coughs> understands it. Uh, one of the things that's interesting is you seem to have designed the envelopes that there's some they're self-explanatory in and of themselves. That even if a, if an officer has not seen it before or has not been trained in it, there's some immediate information at their fingertips as soon as that envelope is that's, handed to the officer. That's correct. T tell me a little bit more about that because we've got you have them in front of you, but being a podcast show and tell doesn't always That's work good. so well. Right. So um, let's give everybody the highlights of you know what's on the blue envelope, what's on the green envelope. Even if an officer hasn't been trained, it immediately identifies some some key items. So just just to clarify, this is yeah. not our program; it was a state program, and we're we're just getting that word understood. You know, we're going to go there too in a minute about what it's, what it was like to partner with the so, DMV. So the front of this legal size envelope. Yeah. I'll, I'll start with the blue one. Uh, on the on the front left side, it's driver on the autism spectrum, and it basically is instructions for the driver. You know, keep your keep your hands on the wheel. Um, so it's reminders for them. Now that you've been stopped, here's what you should what you should do. Right. And then it's right. hand, they're handing over the envelope to the. the and then on the officer. back, the yeah. officer, as you said, it's self-explanatory. If the yeah. officer's not familiar with it, it will tell it will tell the officer some uh, basic. There's six bullet points here that will better through. better inform the officer on it so that the the interaction goes better and. Um, and it's helpful. And again, it's pretty much the same, same thing for the, the deaf and hard of hearing envelope. And I see, you know, again, I could see him. You all listening can't. Uh, DMV is prominently right right on there. So obviously the Connecticut <coughs> DMV in this case was a key partner in this program. That's correct. Can you talk about, to the degree you're aware of, their mm -hmm. work and what they did and how they fit into this pie? Because, you know, most of our listeners are from the DMV side of the business. So correct. I have to understand what the lift that was required in the investment by the Connecticut DMV. 
Right. So I'm sure it is any DMV, it came from the commissioner's office and it was a working group and yeah. it was a by state statute, it was a collaboration with DMV and the Connecticut police chiefs, simply because the, the you have the enforcement end, the regulatory end, yeah. and it's good to partner together. So, um, you know, having DMV behind this and being in the forefront, as well as Connecticut police chiefs, in my opinion, is the best way to do it. And obviously the advocacy groups for the particular uh, area. And in the case of Connecticut, is it the DMV that is producing and distributing those envelopes or does the driver need to go somewhere else to get these envelopes? They're being produced uh, between DMV and the Connecticut police chiefs are being produced and they're they're put in uh, public buildings. They're, they should be in the libraries of every police department. They're in driving schools, uh, depending upon the community. You know, we, we tell the uh, police chiefs as they have them, they should have them in their in their uh, areas, but there's community centers yeah. in towns. There's there's areas where people congregate, uh, public libraries, and you know it's it's a it's a relatively low cost uh, sure. project, but <clears throat> with a significant gain to the common good. So it also sounds like in that strategy embedded is the philosophy that these should be as available as possible, <clears throat> self-selected. It's not an idea that somebody is not deciding that you are eligible for this envelope. No one is deciding that's that correct. you are definitely hard of hearing, so you get one. Prove to me you're the on the autism spectrum and then I'll give you one. Yeah. It's more of a, you know, I as a driver feel like I need this as a tool. I would benefit this as a tool and I can readily right. access it. One of the that's a great point because one of the challenges has been I doing the research for the article I wrote, talking with she was an advocate, but she also had uh, a son on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. When the program, the blue envelope came out, she wanted nothing more than to her, for her son to carry this in his car. Mm -hmm. He didn't want that. He didn't want to be identified. He just didn't want to feel, I already feel like I'm different. I don't want to be treated different. And she was concerned about safety. Yeah. And it, it's, a, it's a great story because rather than push the person to do it, she, the envelope was left out for a couple of weeks out there and then one day it was missing and she checked in the car. So it is voluntary, yep. uh, but it's, uh, yeah, it's not, it's, you're not being identified through licensing or through DMV or yep. some other mechanism. And now clearly the intent is that when you do self-identify and you show it to the law enforcement that it sensitizes the law enforcement to handle that driver perhaps maybe a little bit differently than they would have otherwise. Right. But certainly there's also the risk that the law enforcement officer could adapt and adjust, but not necessarily in a positive manner. Is that, I mean, it's uh, hopefully it's rare, hopefully it's not an issue, but it, I mean, certainly it must be a consideration that went through the planning. I think, I think that um, a traffic stop is one of the most dangerous things a police officer can do. Yeah. They're, they're very dynamic, and of course, they're very individualistic. You're, it depends upon the agency, it depends upon the level of training, it also depends upon the temperament of the officer and their ability to be cognizant of what, what is going on. Yeah. So could there, could there be a bit, bad interaction if there were, say, a delayed response or they're not following commands? There, there could be, there's a, there's a high potential for it. And I think it's one of the reasons because throughout the country, there have been some incidents that were misinterpreted. So, you know, I know that there have been police officers I talked to, not just in Connecticut, but throughout the country, that see this as just such a good tool, in the, uh, what we call another tool in their tool belt yeah. to de-escalate 
So, so have you? So to that point, as you talk to folks outside of Connecticut, are you are you hearing of folks that are considering instituting these programs, or do you know of any that they've already gone so far as to create something similar to what Connecticut? Yeah, I, I spoke with uh, Kansas City that was looking at. They saw the article in IECP from last spring, and they were looking for how do we do this? And we basically take the mystery out of it because we have a packet we can send. You know, it's kind of hard mm -hmm. to give everything. Like the presentation I gave today, it's hard to go through the nuts and bolts of it. But when you don't, I always say, don't reinvent the wheel. I try not mm -hmm. to do that myself. So if you have a, you know, a document, a PDF document that you can give someone, you can give them a, a sample of here's a flyer to put out and mm -hmm. here's the best way to distribute it. And here's some of the outlets to distribute it. So, I've done that throughout the country and recommended you need a parking lot, you need, uh, you need cooperation from people, you need some traffic signs, you need uh, collaboration. You also need to maybe not have that many officers in uniform. Uh, I learned on our first one and I, I readily admit that in the interest of making sure we were highly identified where our spot, it looked like a Ford Crown Victoria or a Ford Explorer conference. Right. And that's probably the worst thing you can do right. because that is intimidating in and of itself. Yeah. So the meeting we had this morning and playing for the one that's going to be in the capital region of Connecticut, we talked about um, having it. There are some are dressed down to support people. And then the other officers are with their body cameras are full function, but we don't overwhelm that community right. with with showing off uh, the police cars yeah. that we have a tendency to do. Because it goes back to, you know, why you want to support the community, and part of it is that, that sensory <coughs> overload. Yep. You don't want to right. unintentionally trigger. Right. One of the things, too, we have uh, my former department, uh, we had two dogs. It was, uh, one was a Puppies Behind Bars program that was out of New York City mm -hmm. that uh, we had one, and then we had another uh, service animal. They're both labs. And having those present, coupled with others from out the state, as comfort animals to be there uh, in in the in the room to be there, take pictures with them, yeah. it's it's a game changer for people. And we learned, and I don't say this kiddingly, we learned to have a couple tissue boxes present when we do the briefing in the beginning because, you know, whether it be a mom or dad that is maybe with their son or daughter that maybe are maybe our adults at this point, yep. you know, many of the comments as they're watching this, wish they saw it 10, 20 years ago. Yeah. So that's one of those, you know, do good, feel good moments yeah, for absolutely. the people that participate in it. I believe it, I believe it. Well, Joe, I appreciate you chatting with me about the program. Is there any key points of it that, you know, when you're talking about this program, you like to talk about that we haven't hit on today in our, in our chat? No, I, I think that it's, uh, I'm obviously an advocate for the program. I'm yeah. happy if someone uh, wanted to reach out to me so I could at least point them in the right direction. Uh, Department of Motor Vehicle groups in, in states, I've been talking to many of them, especially here at this conference. Yeah. Um, I encourage them to get together. I know the state of Massachusetts, we've spoken with them. They're uh, putting in legislation right now to do a similar policy. It just, quite frankly, it just makes sense. Yeah. So if they do want more information and they want to reach out to you, how best can our folks that are listening contact you? Uh, well, I can provide uh, either an email for the company I'm currently working for, or and uh, I also work with Dr. Kerry Sasu 
and others at the Center of Excellence on Autism Spectrum Disorders. So that might be a good Hades place to look up that organization online. That's correct. Them, or if you can't do anything else, you all know how to email me, and I'll connect you with Joe on, there we on go. email. <laughs> all right. Well, Joe, thank you again. It's a pleasure to meet you. Pleasure to chat about this program today. Thank you all for listening. As always, thanks to our producers, Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. Till next week, everyone, stay well. Thank you for joining us for AmbaCast, hosted by Ian Grossman, produced by Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin, music by Gibson Arthur. This episode was brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America. Visit us at amvacast.podbean.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify.